Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And welcome to Bend the Knee, a song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we are into tier two of the Night of the Seven Kingdoms, a.k.a. the Dunkin' Egg Iceberg. Yeah, Jimmy, you know, it's actually getting deeper here because, uh, you know, when I first put a lot of these together, I was like, I don't think there are any more. And then I began researching and finding more and finding more. So, again, this is tier two. So now we're just getting a little bit deeper here. You know, we're not at Titan, Submersible or Titanic, you know, levels of iceberg deep, but we'll get there. Okay, and some have been added to the thing overall. So, uh, again, some of this today is a little informational, but some of it is going to be speculative, informational. And remember, this is technically kind of only covering the information that we have but we do know that there are also planned books for this which george also may write at some point and we may get more detailed and who knows maybe the show when it comes out will dive into it but you know there is other information like world of ice and fire and things like that so uh let's dive in here i got the first one here jimmy what happens to tanzel too tall right so Tanzel, uh, you know, it, Tanzel Too Tall is this woman that Duncan meets and immediately is kind of attracted to her and she gets into some trouble. But here we go. So Tanzel and a group of Dornish puppeteers, including her uncle, are performing at a puppet show at the Ashford Tourney in 209 AC. Tanzel's uncle had carved the puppets and she had painted them. The shows they perform include series of Florian and John Quill, Nymeria and her 10,000 ships, Simeon Star Eyes, and a knight defeating a dragon. After seeing her perform several puppet shows, Sir Duncan the Tall asks Tanzel to share a horn of ale with him, but she declines. Later, he speaks with her, and discovering her skills with paint, pays her to paint his sigil on his new shield. They flirt a little bit, but nothing really comes of it. The first night of the tourney, Prince Arian Targaryen sees the puppeteer performing the shows about the dragon and takes issue with the dragon's death, calling it treason. Arian has the puppets destroyed by his men-at-arms and begins attacking the puppeteers. But Dunk's squire Egg, who we know is secretly Arian's brother, Prince Aegon, had been at the show and runs and tells Dunk that Arian was hurting Tanzel. Dunk arrives in time to see Arian breaking one of Tanzel's fingers and comes to her rescue, but is taken prisoner for striking a royal prince. The puppeteers, including Tanzel and her uncle, leave for Dorne as quickly as possible, but Tanzel leaves behind Duncan's painted shield in the care of Steely Pate. 
According to Steely Pate, Tanzel's uncle feels that they would be better off if they had well gone and well forgot, and that it would be not uh, good for her to see Dunk die in his trial of seven. Between the ending of the Hedge Knight and the start of the Sworn Sword, Dunk and Egg travel through Dorne via the Prince's Pass. Vaith, the Greenblood, and Plankytown seeking Tanzel. They visit a hundred puppet shows, but by the time they leave Dorne, Dunk gives up on ever even trying to find Tanzel or even talking about her. It's not stated unequivocally whether or not they ever find her, but Dunk thinks that he should be dreaming of her instead of Rohan Weber, right? And that they never actually touched each other or kissed even in a chaste way. At the wedding feast, the first night of the White Walls tourney in the third book, The Mystery Night, Dunk wonders where Tanzel might be at that night and if she ever thinks of him. He falls asleep at the table and has a pleasant dream involving Tanzel and Lady Rohan Weber. Later, when carrying the bride during the bedding, Dunk thinks about Tanzel and wonders if he would ever find her again. When John the Fiddler tells Duncan of his dream of him as a Kingsguard and asks if he would like to be one, Dunk thinks that he might find Tanzel again one day and have a wife and sons. And then in November of 2016 at TuskCon, George Martin stated that there's a good chance Tanzel will appear in a future Duncan Egg story. Who? Dunk having three-way dreams is a, uh, a <laughs> I have forgotten about my friend. My yes, goodness. Yes. Dunk the chat over here, huh? Yeah. <laughs> will, will Dunk ever meet her again? And is it possible that Dunk could have another kid out there that we don't know about that could be somebody in the series? I mean, we already know he's somewhat related. We know he, we know officially that he is in some way related to Brian of Tarth. We don't know how that lineage gets passed, but there's really not that much time. It's about 150 years, right? 130 years. It's like 110 years, I think. 110 years, 110 years between this and Game of Thrones. Yeah. But then, you know, some of these characters, you know, we know who their parents are. Some of these characters in the main series are older, a little bit older. So it's like there can only be about one or two people in between there. So, you know, it, that's where things get kind of interesting, especially with like Brand of Tarth, right? You trace her way back. We don't know like who her mother is or where that line goes, potentially see how exactly she is related. So is it possible that Dunk meets her again and, you know, potentially has another kid out there? I mean, it's certainly possible. I think uh, maybe a little bit later in this iceberg, down towards the depths of the darkness of the iceberg, uh, there's a connection that maybe we can make uh, in the future. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. I First off, Arion breaking her fingers. What a jerk. Oh, absolutely. Arion Bright Flame. Yeah. What a douche. Not yes. a fan. Well, he drinks wildfire trying to become a dragon and kills himself. So I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. After he gets banished to Essos, he goes over to Essos and, you know, has. And again, hey, you know, by the way, Arian Brightflame, you want to talk about him just a little bit. Him going over to Essos. He's one of those targets. He's over there for a bit. Who knows how many dragon seeds he's got out there, right? And they all have to be batshit crazy, right? Yeah. Exactly. We think, oh, it's just the Blackfires that are over there, but that's not the case. There's other Targaryens that go over there, too. So if you want to go all the way down to Young Griff, you know, that's a that's a thing we could potentially oh. tie in. Young Griff may be an actual Targaryen, not a not even a Blackfire. Now that but just a long distant Targaryen. Right. So my God. Um, <laughs> 
do you think Tanzel's going to be at Summer Hall when it burns? Wow. That is a bold question. Um, I feel like that's a George R. R. Martin ending. <laughs> geez, that would be terrible. It is pretty close. Summer Hall is pretty close to Dorne. It's right there on the border. Just saying. <sighs> well, it's possible that it's, I would say, let me replace this. It's likely that Dunk is related to Hodor. And mm. that whether that is secretly old name, whether secretly old Nan is Lady Rohan Weber or not, um, I do like the theories, and that's one that we'll dive into de- uh, in the deeper part of the the story of the iceberg. Or old Nan's just old Nan, and Dunk also hooked up with old Nan, um, <laughs> you know, when she was not so old. Young Nan, if in fact, yeah, yeah, young Nan. So I that might be a, th- but see, that's the thing that might be the threat is Dunk just has a lot of hookups. He's along, just uh, clapping along cheap. the way, so we may never really see Tanzel again. Tanzel may always be like the one that got away, and he'll just always think of her, and he'll just constantly be trying to break backs to make up for the misconnection. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just, just trying to uh, this yeah. as possible. <laughs> He yeah, he's just always going to be thinking about you know the one that got away. Yeah, Rohan Weber and and Tanzel too tall in the because same we dream. the the I would say that the the it's unlikely that he finds her in Dorne, and I think more likely that he finds her at a tourney or something. Yeah, an event. Yeah, that's why I was thinking Summer Hall. Oh God, that'd be awful. That'd be so awful. She did. But that would also be the most George R. R. Martin thing ever. They found her underneath Dunk's cloak with no sign of Dunk. And her yeah, high, in, high in the Hall of the Kings who was lost. And Tanzel was there too. You know, oh just my goodness. <laughs> Tanzel get, dance with her ghost. Yeah. Somebody get Lord on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> we got a remix. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, do you think? Do you do you think we we see her again? I yeah. guess in any any sort of fashion. Yeah. Yeah, I think she dies at Summer Hall. Okay. All right. I'm all in. Go. I'm all in, Matt. That's it. So that's what he finally. So we'll see her again at the. So then maybe that will be the thing. Is he'll just constantly think of her through every story with every new girl he meets. Yep. Yeah. Hundred percent. Does he is he just banging a different girl every? Oh yeah. Yeah. Every 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 story dunks just meet and just. You know, he's, just out there young, sowing seeds. Young and sowing seeds. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Let's move on to the next one here, Jimmy. All right. Oh, this is mine. Oh, sorry. I this is this one. This one's mine again. Okay. Here we go. Blood Raven becomes the three-eyed crow slash raven. So as you said, some of these are just more sort of informational than they are, but they do tie into the story here. So in A Song of Ice and Fire, when Bran Stark is in a coma after his fall, a crow appears in his dreams and tells Bran it can teach him to fly. Bran realizes the crow has three eyes. The crow will continue to not only show up in Bran's dreams, but served him as a guide to help Bran out of the coma. The crow continues to teach Bran and guide him as he makes his way north beyond the wall all the way to the cave of the three-eyed crow, where he meets a man named Brendan, a pale skeletal man in a rotted black clothing in a weirwood throne of tangled roots. His skin is white aside from a red blotch on his neck and cheek. Brendan has fine white hair, is missing an eye, and the other one is red. 
Brendan teaches Bran about green seeing and skin changing and helps Bran to unlock his green seeing gifts. Now, it is never officially stated that he is Brendan Rivers or Brendan of House Targaryen, or as he is more commonly known, Blood Raven. But all of the surrounding text and descriptions points to it obviously being him. What is more interesting, however, is exactly how did Brendan Rivers come to become how did he become the three-eyed crow did he stumble upon this cave was there another three-eyed crow before besides bran what else has he been influencing over the years and how does the influence work from person to person like are they really all just one person you know what i'm saying like one consciousness in the tree right like bran becomes blood raven who becomes bran who becomes um whoever was pro you know damon probably damon are uh right anybody that, yeah yeah that's our crackpot theory is that right. gonna walk away in house of the dragon and get sucked into a weirwood uh <laughs> but i could happen i mean this is one of the things that we keep coming back to i feel like uh when when we've been talking is just why how and who <laughs> why does he become blood raven or i'm sorry uh, the three-eyed crow um how does he become the three-eyed crow uh and who was there prior and is it one of those things where he started having dreams just like brand did because you know brand ends up going north of the wall because of the dreams and Brendan rivers ends up going north for albeit a different reason uh but going to the night's watch but maybe that was his intent the entire time i'm not sure i, I really don't know and I don't know if we have any good clean in the books. I don't think we have any good clean idea of, of who would have possibly came before blood Raven, unless if it was someone, I mean, if you want to get crazy, I guess you could say like maybe brand the builder, but right. I'm of the opinion that brand the builder is brand. So, right. Yeah. And then of course, you know, there's other things too, which we've talked about in other videos and stuff like that about the three eyed crow, maybe a separate entity than, mm -hmm brendan rivers right who they call sometimes the last green seer now i have some of the things up here that we see so mira reed when she's talking to cold hands right when because cold hands is the one that actually escorts them you know who sent you who is this three-eyed crow a friend dreamer wizard call him what you will the last green seer so some people think and well that's going to be one of our points later about cold hands and who he might be but a friend is you know a that line is something that we see Blood Raven use in the Duncan Egg series. Then a uh, comment here by Melisandre, you know, a face looking shape within the hearth. Stannis, she thought for a moment, but no, who were uh, these were not his features. A wooden face, corpse white. Was this the enemy? Question mark. A thousand red eyes floated in the rising flames. He sees me beside him. A boy with a wolf's face threw back his head and howled. You know, that's Melisandre looking into the fire and she sees this figure, you know, which is the three eyed crow. Right. But it's Blood Raven. But if you look at some of the notations around it, you know, she sees this man with the face and then she also sees a thousand red eyes that float sort of around him, not with him, but around him. You know, he sees me, you know, and then she sees the boy. And then, you know, another one here with Leaf talking to Bran. Most of him has gone into the tree. He has lived beyond his mortal span, and yet he lingers for us, for you, for the realms of men. Only a little strength remains in his flesh. 
He has a thousand eyes and one, but there is much to watch. One day you will know. So, you know, it's definitely pretty obvious that it's obviously Blood Raven, of course, although it is never it is never officially stated that he is like from House Targaryen and they never really go into that. But, you know, we do know that Blood Raven dabbles in sorcery. They'd say, you know, a thousand eyes and one all the time. Right. Is the thousand is the one eye. You know, we always think about like that one red eye. Is it because at one point he does actually just have one eye that's left? Is it the third eye that is sort of the one eye and the thousand eyes? You know, we think about it at first about all the spies he has, but then it could be all the ravens that he has all over the place. You know, when he actually becomes Blood Raven or, you know, becomes the three eyed crow, he has all the crows everywhere. Or is it the weirwood trees? And those are his actual thousand eyes. Maybe he was somewhat connected the entire time, right? I mean, that's like the crazy thing. Uh, and I do think this is going to be something that we only actually get information about in... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill these Duncan eggs books I agree and then we'll never we'll never get the real story in a song of ice and fire but we'll get it in the Duncan egg series but it'll be like ooh, we can kind of see the pieces and maybe he did actually know the whole time yeah and another thing about blood raven I think is important to keep in mind is that a lot of people speak of blood raven as an antagonist especially the people around the tourney they're they're talking bad about blood raven for the most part no we don't trust him and he's kind of an outcast in, in that regard even though he's part of house Targaryen and has a hand of the king but one of the things that George really likes to do is to kind of play with those expectations of what's public opinion of someone and who they really are. If you need an example of this, Brienne of Tarth is actually a uh, Kingslayer, just like Jamie by public opinion, because people think that she killed Renly, but we know that she's actually a virtuous all by all accounts, in my opinion, a knight. So I think the fact that blood Raven is kind of presented to us in uh, mystery night as like the shadowy mysterious figure and plays a sorcery. I think maybe on the surface, it might look like, you know, that he's up to something devious, but I have a feeling that he's probably a whole lot more sympathetic and has a whole a range of motivations that are just for what he ends up doing in the series. And I do think that Duncan Egg is where that that would be explored at. I It really reminds me a lot of Melisandre because George says she's the most misunderstood character in the series. And we're supposed to see a lot more from her Winds of Winter. And I think that Blood Raven probably falls along the same lines as her. Someone who is kind of you know everyone's a little standoffish everyone has an opinion and it usually isn't very high and, and people respect the power but they don't necessarily think that they're you know good people so here's a here's a question for you jimmy because you know often when we talk about blood raven we talk about is you know is it possible he influenced this is it possible he influences mm -hmm. we never actually really talked that much about like and you know we always dive into it we're always just like i don't know you know what like because we don't know right it's just like it could go a million different ways but as i'm kind of sitting here thinking do you think just to kind of maybe drive us in one direction on him, do you think it is more likely I'm going to give you two sort of paths here? You know, Blood Raven is somebody who has a, you know, a thousand eyes one. He's always reading. And now we have this kind of backing of House of the Dragon of this song of ice and fire that's actually presented down and the prophecy and the prince who was promised and all that stuff. But we think it's going to get lost here in like House of the Dragon. And, you know, 
some of this stuff may actually end up being like book canon too. some of the stuff like Aegon's prophecy and it could be potentially being lost in in this in the even potentially in the books. But let's just say, for example, that it does. Do you think it's do you think that Blood Raven kills uh, what is it? Maylee's Targaryen or African uh, Aenys Targaryen, right? When he uh, when he steps off the boat, right, to come. He's a Blackfire, right? And he's Blackfire. He comes over to present himself, you know, potentially be one of the kings, and Blood Raven just kills him right then and there. Or as soon as he steps on the boat, boom, beheads him. He's like, nope, yeah, I'm doing it for the realm. And then he gets sent to the wall. Do you think it's that he potentially learns about this cave of the three-eyed crow before he goes to the wall and he does it as like, I need a reason to get set well, up there? Or that's do you what I'm think, kinda... or do you think he goes to the wall and then learns of it or and by that you could also include he actually just stumbles into the cave and gets sucked in or something i mean so i think that's the least likely i think him just oh whoopsies i fell into a weirwood like i don't think that happens but so part of me likes the idea that he you know would behead someone to get sent to the wall and do all these things maybe he's killing two birds with one stone or two targaryens with one stone one sword uh however there's probably an easier way of going about that my suspicion is, is that the placement of the person in rel- in relation to this cave in the Weirwood Network actually matters on how much influence and prophecy and yada, yada, yada they can do. And we know that down in King's Landing, the Weirwoods are no longer there. The Weirwoods are gone. They shouldn't be there at all, uh, which in House of the Dragon, there is a Weirwood there, which we know is that shouldn't be there. So that's definitely for a reason. Uh, however, with Blood Raven, I have a feeling that once he is at the wall, thinking about like, well, what's my life now? This is where he starts getting the dreams because he is closer to whoever the three-eyed crow is at this point. He's also just closer to the north, where it seems magic is a lot more relevant. And Bran, for instance, is all the way up in the north whenever he's getting his dreams as well. And there are weirwoods around. So I think that there is some sort of like, you know cell phone signal from the weirwood network that maybe is a little more faint in king's landing and by the time he arrives at the wall he's got full blown 5g yeah okay so yeah all right i can see that too so that was another thing i was just going to pull up here because you know he is one of the things i think we often forget about blood raven too and i liked what you said about there not being weirwoods down there is he is also his house right is you know he is a house targaryen but he is a bastard Mm -hmm. um and he is also blackwood right and like the blackwood sigil is like a weirwood tree so my (laughs) goodness (laughs) and he also has a weirwood long you know he is he's the special archery is a weirwood longbow and if i remember correctly i'm just trying to come up here and didn't we know, I think it's when Torrin Stark uh, potentially is going to try to take down a dragon with a weirwood bow, right? Like one of his archers. So is it possible that a weirwood bow could take down a dragon? I'm willing to say yes for just the fact that it sounds really cool. Yeah. Okay, I have to. I'll have to dive more into that too because I think that was one of the things. I don't think it's ever specifically there's confirmation about it, but just that when Torrin Stark, uh, when Aegon went up there, they, they had a weirwood bow and they were going to try and kill a dragon, um, and that you know it ultimately ended up happening that way, but that he yeah. just bends the knee. But okay, all right, and of course we'll obviously dive a lot more into Blood Raven, you know, mm-hmm. as we always do as we progress in our reread as well. But 
that's sort sure. of, I think, an interesting thing to th- consider. Yes. So the next entry into the iceberg, this is the last one for tier two, is one that you probably know, but maybe some of you listening are going to go, wait, what? Um, so I think this is a good one to leave off on for tier two. Maynard Plum is Blood Raven. Maynard Plum is a character that interacts with Sir Dunk the Tall and many others during the novella The Mystery Knight. Maynard was a tall, thin man with stooped shoulders. His blonde hair was long and straight. Maynard wore a dun-colored rough spun and stained brown leather and a frayed cloak, which was poorly dyed purple. The cloak was fastened with a large moonstone brooch, which resembled a pale white eye in certain light. It is believed this large moonstone brooch was the object that allowed Blood Raven to glamour himself as Maynard Plum and would eventually lead to him arriving at Lord Ambrose Butterwell's wedding and putting down an attempt at a Blackfire Rebellion. Sir Dunk at one point thinks this close, there was something queer about his cast of Sir Maynard's features. The longer Dunk looked, the less he seemed to see. This is hinting at a glamour, and then we see Maynard coming to the defense of Blood Raven in the text as well. At one point during a conversation, Dunk even says, we'd all be bastard sons of old King Aegon if half these tales were true. To which Maynard Plum, a.k.a. Bloodraven, answers, and who's to say we're not? Which obviously Bloodraven is a bastard Targaryen himself. So this fits the theory of Bloodraven being Maynard Plum, since Bloodraven really is a bastard of Aegon the Unworthy. But also, the publication date for The Mystery Knight was just before A Dance with Dragons in which we see Melisandre use a glamour for the very first time. And it's very likely this novella was a first look on how glamour would work in the world of A Song of Ice and Fire. Maynard Plum is an interesting choice for a name, seeing as the red mark on Bloodraven's face and neck could be described, possibly, as a plum color. This shows that Bloodraven is one of the most compelling characters in the entire Song of Ice and Fire story and shows up not only here in glamour, but also in the main five books as well. Yeah. Yeah. Great points there. And again, this was a little more informational. It's like kind of, you know, it's most people uh, put it together. Most people. Yeah. 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 It's pretty easy to put together, but it is one of the things that you and I've talked about in terms of the publication date and these Duncan egg books, he wrote them and the way that, you know, they, the, when they come out, right. They, they come out along with, a song of ice and fire so they are more connected than just it's taking place in the same world um because i believe the first duncan egg book came out after a clash with kings it was either after or right before yeah i'll i'll pull that up but i'm pretty sure it does and it's like wow you know there's like no targaryens and that's like the whole deal and then man it's nothing but targaryens once you read the hedge knight it's crazy i was i remember the first time i read it i was like oh my god there's uh, there's Targaryens all over the place. Like, this is cool. Uh, and then we actually get to hear more about Targaryens. And the same thing with, like, the second book, You sort of, that's when you begin to hear a little bit more about the Black Fires in the main series as well. Because the second, yes. the the Sworn Sword talks a little bit more about the Black Fire Rebellions. Yes, and uh, the Hedge Knight was originally published in August 25th, 1998 in the Legends Anthology, edited by Robert Silverberg. Um, obviously this would be released again later in a standalone version and then in a night of seven kingdoms, uh, far later, but the hedge Knight was written and published in publication in 1998. Right. And so was a clash of Kings. Okay. Yes. So yeah. So they came out. Yeah. In the same, the same, the same year. Yeah. So mm-hmm. March, the clash of Kings came out in the U S in 99. Right. But it came out in, uh, the 
98 in the UK. So yeah, so mm -hmm. just right after. So certainly, <clears throat> regardless, it, it it came out at the same time as a Clash of Kings. So that's where you get to begin to pick up on some more of that stuff. And that's also interesting when you think about some of the main books too, is that George is ex now expanding his world. Yeah, very much so. And, and, and clearly has a reason for wanting to get these novellas out whenever they come to his mind. And Blood Raven is a mainstay in the Mystery Night, but he's also a main part of Brand's chapters in A Dance with Dragon. I mean, major, major stuff when it comes to like lore and world building. So that was not by mistake. And it's not a mistake that we see a glamour in both books either. Yeah. You know, what's probably what's interesting because obviously he clearly writes, he clearly writes the, like the crow when mm -hmm. with Bran. So because the, the crow shows up first, you know, when did he think, Ooh, I could turn this character into the, like, cause how do you get right? Just from like a narrative standpoint of, Oh, I'm going to make this. It's going to be this like sorcerer person that's going on in these books. That's going to be like the whole big deal in my main series. Because that's clearly to... a character in his in his writing process. He decided is going to be here and is going to be here and is going to be like ultra important. I don't think it was in the original outline for the trilogy, but I could be mistaken. I, I, I know I'm pretty sure it's not. I'm pretty sure it's not. I think this is something that grew on him. And as he began to build out the Targaryen history, because also remember a clash of Kings is where we hear a little bit more about the Targaryens past and, and maybe a little bit of madness beyond just the mad King uh, Ares as well. I think this is the, I think clash of Kings is the book that spoils house of the dragon. I believe that's whenever they mention what happens to Rhaenyra uh, at her end. So George was thinking about these things and uh, thank God he did. <laughs> Because I yeah. love the mystery night. I love the hedge night. I love the sword and sword. I love the Duncan egg novellas. I love fire and blood. I love it all, you know, and it's because he put in so much time and effort into making it a consistent history, but also one that is, is very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's just really interesting to think about, you know, how did he go from, because the crow shows up clearly and then, all right, now I'm going to write this character blood Raven. Okay. Well, now I'm going to turn this character blood Raven into the character that is the one influencing Bran and yes. decides to, to tie yeah. it all together yeah and you know brand very much feels like a bit of a nod towards paul atreides from dune uh you know being the disturbed chosen one with a power that is just far too great um for anyone to really comprehend and i think that uh brendan rivers blood raven is is a massive piece of of brand's story and and it wouldn't be nearly as compelling without those scenes in the dance of dragons yeah absolutely okay well that is tier two for us we will come back with tier three and things are just about to get like that tier three is where things start to get like real crazy that's yeah, specifically where we uh yeah specifically one of them which will probably be the last one we covered in tier three is my, maybe my favorite other than one absurd one down at the very bottom on tier five that right is just yeah. asinine uh yeah it's... strap strap in folks because Tier three is the last time you're going to feel semi-normal listening to these iceberg tiers. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing about all of these tiers and, you know, is as we're going through it and we're discussing the big theories that take place inside of the Dunkin' Egg series is that they're all connected to the main series. Yeah. Like that yeah. just shows how connected these things actually are. Like if when this show comes out, like if you're somebody who only watches the shows, this will feel way more connected to Game of Thrones than House of the Dragon. Yeah. Although House of the Dragon has done a great job so far of making it feel connected to Game of Thrones.
Yeah, and I'll say I'll even say this, Matt. I think any good Duncan Egg theory needs to connect back to the main series because it's still, you know, obviously there's a very endearing, amazing story at the center of Duncan Egg and, and the friendship that they have of a knight and a squire, but uh, it, it really is meant to serve um, as an expansion of the main series, in my opinion. Not, not just not just in events, but also in themes. So. I think any good theory on this iceberg that maybe at the end we can say, Hey, that might be true. is most likely going to be one that connects back to the main five. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Well, with that, uh, stay tuned, you know, as always, thank you for listening to our podcast. Next time we will be back with part three, tier three of the night of a seven kingdoms iceberg. And if you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, or leave us a comment, or send us a raven at btkcast.gmail.com or bendtheneepodcast.com. We'll see you next time. And remember that winter is coming. credit card bill.